Welcome to the Oklahoma Drill. Um, this is a we're in new territory here. Uh, Ryan is not with us. Um, you see, he has a real job, and that you know he's just busy, so he was unable to record. Um, secret though, um, we this will be the second podcast we recorded this week. Um, Ryan, Sam, and I were all on on Monday. And it uh, it didn't record. The uh, recording software crashed on us, so we lost that good, recording. So this is stuff. a makeup. Yeah, so we've got Sam here. It's Sam and Alex coming at you with a makeup podcast. Um, no Ryan. So I gave I gave everybody a solid thirty seconds of suspense without talking. They thought maybe you were gonna do like a. Ryan Rosillo solo podcast Ooh, where he's more like radio, pod. just talking to yourself. Yeah. Everyone got their hopes up for a bit, but they're stuck with me. I don't even know how that would go. Like, I feel like it would just be me going like, um, a whole lot. So <laughs> probably don't want people yeah, to know that. Yeah, that's, the more I think about like doing radio and stuff like that, like that, that would be difficult to just be on the radio by yourself. Yeah, I totally would. There, there yeah. has to be a level of insanity, like arguing with yourself. Yeah, no doubt. Well, you would definitely have – it would be something I would have to practice a lot just to For kind sure. of get, like, the the likes out of it, you know, like I just said. But um, anyway, so this is – we're going to preview the TCU game this uh, tonight. Um, and then we'll talk about – we've got a defensive coordinator candidate that we're going to talk about at the end. Um, so instead of going with just one podcast of, you know, all the defensive coordinator candidates that we're, that we like, we're going to go one at a time. So, um, I think that'll be a more, more enjoyable, less intimidating way to listen to it. Yeah, for sure. And if anybody has any suggestions of a guy that they like, you can hit us up on Twitter. I wouldn't mind that. That'd be kind of cool. Um, and you know, maybe we'll we'll look into him if if we haven't already thought about him, and we'll we'll go over him in a in a podcast. Um, but let's start out. OU has a football game this weekend. Thank God. Um, how did you How did you handle the bye week? I rejoiced. I was very thankful we weren't playing that weekend. I think by now most people have forgotten that we lost a game that to a mediocre offense. Um, they, Texas is highly ranked for absolutely no reason, so it doesn't look like a terrible loss. And then, what was it, four top ten, top ten teams went down last week? Um, so that really plays into our favor of everyone kind of forgetting what happened in Dallas and maybe putting a little life back into our playoff hopes. Yeah, for sure. Like, bye weeks, in a way, I really enjoy them because – I get to just sit back and watch football for a whole weekend without worrying about OU at all. You know, like it's just, I get to watch football and, and, you know, root against the top ranked teams and stuff like that to me is really fun. But at the same time, once you get through the full two weeks of not watching OU, it feels like they hadn't, haven't played in like a month and a half. So I'm ready to see him play again. Speaking of rooting against teams, where do you fall on, so, you know, a lot of times, you want to have quality wins or quality losses, so you want the people you play to not suck. But where do you fall on that when it comes to Texas? Like, do you want them to have wins 
so that it looks like a better loss for us, or do you not give a shit and you want them to lose every game? Because I know exactly where I fall on this. Okay, so they played Baylor this this past weekend, and you know, obviously, there's not a lot of reason to root for Baylor because you know they've had some issues down, you know. <laughs> down in Waco. Um, I was pacing around at the end of that game nervous because I really wanted Baylor to score at the end. Uh, I was hardcore rooting for the Baylor Bears in that game, um, which is not the easiest thing in the world to do. But when they're playing Texas, come on. I was I wanted Texas to lose. I want them to lose every week. I could not care less. We had no business losing to them, and it, them winning more is not going to make me feel better about losing to them. So just screw them. I hope they lose. Yep. I agree. I am like when it comes to you know West Virginia, it's like oh man, it would have been nice if they didn't lose to Iowa State so we could beat a eleven and zero West Virginia team or ten and one West Virginia team. But yeah, when it comes to Texas, no, that lose them all. I don't care. Yeah. Well, and with West Virginia, I I was rooting for my my dear cousin Brock Purdy. Um, He's balling in that game. Obviously, the the kid the kid can play. He can. Kid can play. Um, but anyways, um, anything else from the bye week? We could just kind of go through that because it was it was a pretty insane week, and like particularly the two thirty slot on Saturday was like one of the most fun experience, like just one of the most fun time slots I can remember. There yeah, was sure. like Georgia was in that time slot. Yeah, Georgia. Uh, Texas was in that time slot. Notre Dame wasn't in that time slot, but because they, they started at one thirty, but they yeah. were playing during. They that were essentially time. in that time slot. Yeah, like so, I had my eyes on them. Um, I'm trying to think. My computer is being crazy slow right now, so I was gonna look that up. Uh, but there were, I mean, I just remember I had two iPads and a TV set up, and I was missing stuff. You know, You're right. Like I had three screens going and I was having, I was flipping back and forth on TV and I was still missing things. Like Washington and Oregon was, was on that list as well. Yeah. Yeah. They were no, no Pac-12 after dark for that one. No. Yeah. And really the only way this weekend could have gone any better for Oklahoma is if, um, well, you know, Texas could have lost, which would be cool, but that doesn't really impact OU that much. Um, but if Notre Dame could have lost to Pitt, that would have actually been a pretty significant thing because, I mean, Notre Dame's schedule coming in is not great. Yeah. They like, have a I very just, good chance of running the table. Yeah, I just don't see who they lose to at this point. I mean, I feel like they will slip up and lose to somebody, but, I mean, yeah, yeah like you said, they don't have – their lowest win probability left this season is USC. There's 62% win yeah. probability. To close out the year, I mean, they have Navy, Northwestern, Florida State, Syracuse before that. They are, I mean, they're all mostly, like, a little trappy, but also I don't expect them to beat Notre Dame. So it's kind of kind of frustrating. You really wish they would have lost one to Virginia Tech or Pitt or somewhere along the way already. Right. Well, my thing is, I just, I don't think Notre Dame is that good. Right. Um, if they if their schedule was if they had their normal schedule, which normally they play a really difficult schedule, 
Um, it just so happens that this year's slate isn't tough on them. Um, I, I just, I think they'll slip up to somebody. I've got my eye on Syracuse and obviously USC is probably their toughest game left. Um, I mean, but even like Northwestern or Florida State could do it. Like right. either one of those teams beat Notre Dame. Like I wouldn't be just like shocked by that result. So I think, I think they'll lose a game. Now the question is whether or not them losing one game is enough, but. Um, right. We'll just have to cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah, um, like if got, if oh, if they care of business. if they could have flipped the Stanford and Michigan games, for example, I right. think they would have lost to Michigan if they played them at the end of September instead of the first game of the year. Oh yeah, yeah. Michigan's playing really well right now. They are, and that's kind of one of the. I mean, they they kind of come like not coming out of nowhere, but they've they've just improved pretty much every week. You know, and it's they're playing as well as anybody. And, yeah. and that game in Columbus at the end of the year, like that's gonna be freaking awesome to watch. Yeah, Michigan could definitely run the table and yeah, win the Big Ten and get into the playoff. And at the same time, they could lose to Michigan State this weekend because they have to right. go to Michigan State, and they usually somehow lose to them. So right, that's that's another like I don't think Michigan State is any good, but yeah, Texas also isn't good. Just you never know what'll happen in rivalry games. Especially since they have to, Michigan has to go to Michigan State. Yeah. I saw a, a tweet the other day, um, 2007 maybe, I can't remember the year, but Mike Hart called Michigan State little brother. And since, since he did that, Michigan State has dominated this series. That's awesome. And it's not, it's not really like, you know, Michigan has had a lot of letdowns, like they had some, Bad years and Michigan State was dominating it, but still, yeah, Michigan State they they're really feeling themselves in this series, so that adds to the potential upset bid for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just I want to do this real quick. Have you looked at this week's schedule at all? I have not around the country, so I'm gonna go throw out a couple some games, and I want you know let's just see let's hand I'm gonna it. imagine it's not very good since. College game day is going to Oregon at Washington State for kind of the the pity game. It'll be cool to hear the history of the Washington State flag that goes around all the game days, but right. not exactly the marquee matchup you hope for every week. Yeah. No, for sure. But, I mean, like, Michigan's going to Michigan State. Like, that's going to be an That'll interesting be game. It's an 11 a.m. game. I think Michigan will win, but, you know, heck, anything can happen there. Um, probably another game that's really important in terms of playoff implications, NC State at Clemson. Um, yeah, NC State's undefeated right now. Um, and granted, they didn't have to play West Virginia, and, right? So we I don't think, really know how good yeah. they are. Like we could we could say they didn't have to play West Virginia, but we could also. I mean, I haven't watched NC State, but we could be saying that West Virginia didn't have to play NC State. No, that's 100% true. And, like, I don't know, something – Clemson has some issues. Like, I don't know what it is, but they're just not as good as I feel like they should be. Um, and maybe they turn that around this weekend. I mean, they've got a home game, I guess, a top 20 team to kind of show – to prove me wrong. But, right. I don't know, I, I, I think NC State's going to give them a run for their money. They almost beat them a couple of years ago, so. Yeah, I mean, I know 
the from what I've heard, I haven't watched Clemson much, but the secondary is kind of the point of attack if you're trying to pull off the upset against Clemson. Obviously, you're oh, yeah. not going to do much to them in the trenches, but the secondary is where to get after them. And NC State, as they usually do, they have a good quarterback. So it's true. Yeah, um, I think maybe the biggest upset opportunity this weekend of a top five team is Mississippi State at LSU. And not because I think Mississippi State is great. I just I still refuse to believe that LSU was good. That's like I I understand what they did to Georgia, but man, I Joe Burrow is not very good, man. Like yeah. if somebody can stop them from running the ball effectively, like if they can just slow them down a little bit and make Joe Burrow have to throw a little bit, he'll do something dumb or he just won't be able to get it done. You know, like I. If Mississippi State could get a lead in that game, I, I like their chances. Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely have the talent up front on defense to, if they can put pressure on Joe Burrow, he is definitely, can't remember, um, this was before they played Georgia, but Joe Burrow hadn't threw a pick yet, and the amount that he had thrown, like he should have theoretically have thrown four picks at that point, and he hadn't thrown any. And so it was like there's definite regression coming for this below-average quarterback. Yeah. And so I think I think it is still he hasn't bottomed out yet or leveled off, and I think Joe Burrow is still on the downward trend. Yeah, no, I tend to agree. Um, it's It's so- very frustrating you talked about you know, you don't think LSU is any good because I also don't. And you also talked about how Notre Dame isn't any good. And, like, we obviously Georgia lost to LSU, so are they any good? Like, maybe just everybody's not good. And so does that make everybody actually good? And then just Alabama's great, and then everybody, (laughs) like, from 2 to 15, everybody's just good. So like Texas, yeah. they're top ten, and we also think they're trash. Like I think all so many of these top ten teams are just rat teams, and maybe I'm just wrong. Yeah, and like I think part of why we think this way is because all of these teams are they're deficient on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, they are deficient at all. And us as OU fans, we get to watch the best offense in the country pretty much every year. And yeah. so now it's just like every other offense looks terrible. Because that was one of the things, like, on Saturday during the bye week, I was, like, equally depressed in watching other defenses play really well and, like, tackle in the open field and, like, make stops on third and one. Like, I was just, like, incre- like crazy jealous and impressed by that. But then I was also, like, almost horrified of like some of the quarterback play that I saw right. like, Pitt, like watching Pitt play offense was disgusting. Yeah. You know, like it was just some, like, I was just like, God, we're so lucky and unlucky at the same time that we, we, we get to watch this offense, but then we have to watch this defense play. Right. You know? But I can't remember someone, someone the other day had mentioned to me, they're like, man, I, I wish we were playing in the big 10 or something. And I was like, Why? Like why why do you want to watch seventeen to fourteen every week? No. Like it is like this it's was, awful to this, watch. This was bizarre week in the Big Twelve in that there was a lot of low scoring games. 
Right. And it was super boring. I didn't yeah. like it. I didn't like it at all. I didn't like watching Tech and TCU finish 17 to 14. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Okay. I think that's enough, uh, around college football talk. Um, is there any, let me see if one last look. I feel like there was one more game I was going to bring up. Um, oh yeah. Uh, I mean, like you said, game day is going to be in, in Washington state. I mean, I think this is like a perfect opportunity for them to get that upset over Oregon. Right. And that would essentially, I mean, not even essentially, that would 100% Eliminate the Pac-12 from playoff consideration, right? Because Washington's like, already done. Yeah, every team would have two losses. I mean, every good team in that conference would have two losses. I mean, Washington State and Colorado would be left with one, but they're not winning out, you know. Um, so, in you know, for all intents and purposes, that would eliminate the Pac-12 from playoff contention. And not that Oregon is incredibly likely, anyways, but. Uh, right. It'd be nice if but they're they're the only ones with the solid. chance to run the right. table. Yeah. Yeah. Uh S P plus has that they have the win probability for Washington State fifty seven percent. ESPN's FPI has Washington State sixty one and a half, so they think it'll be Yeah. Even, I think I mean, that would probably put it about four point projected margin. Yeah, playing them at home. Like that I mean that carries a lot of weight in those kind of projections. So they apparently um the Pullman Police Department had to like issue a state of emergency for Saturday because they're projecting there to be so many people at game day. Oh really? Yeah. Oh wow. So that that will that atmosphere they are ready for Oregon to come to town. Yeah. Yeah they are. And really, Washington State should be undefeated right now because their loss to USC was so stupid. Like, that was yeah, I didn't dumb. catch that they one. They should have. That was like a, I think it was on like a Friday night or a Thursday night. I think it was a Thursday night. And if Mike Leach got super conservative at the end of the game for whatever reason, and it mm-hmm. cost them the game, like they they should have won the game. All right, let's talk about OU football because there's Dude. quite a bit to talk about. Um, we play TCU. At 11 a.m. this weekend, um, which kind of, if we're going to play in like a relatively hostile environment, I prefer to do it at 11 a.m. Right. Um, everyone, everyone, complains, everyone complains about the 11 a.m. kickoff, but I really don't care when it's on the road. I prefer yeah, it that way on the road. If I'm not going to the game and have to wake up super early to make it there, like what do I care if we play at 11 o'clock? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree because – then if you win, you just you can relax for the rest of the day. Right. You know, watch other teams play. You know, and if I mean if you lose, it sucks. But if like, you lose, you have you have the rest of the day to cool down instead of like going well, to bed really. I bad, ended yeah. my day with that, and now I'm going to bed. Instead, you can watch other teams also suck, and you're like, well, at least I'm not a USC fan. That's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um. Yeah. Um. Okay, TCU, let's start with what everybody wants to hear. Like, we have a new defensive coordinator. Ruffin McNeil's running the defense now, or he is at least the figurehead of this defense. Um, Are you expecting to see any changes from a schematic standpoint this weekend? From a schematic standpoint, and, like, I am not as well-researched as you and Ryan and 
our friend Nathan Hill. But from a schematic standpoint, I really don't. I feel like in the middle of the season, that's just really hard to do. Um, and I don't know how much Ruffin's philosophy differs from Mike's. I mean, other than maybe using players differently, I could see you know maybe some more depth, get Caleb Kelly on the field more. But as far as like you know formations go, I really don't see much changing. What about you? So, I if if you think there's a lot to change, then feel free to tell me I'm wrong. Because like I've already admitted, right. you know more than I do. Right. You're all over the message boards. You're all you got the inside info. So. Yeah, I I think largely, like I don't think we'll see anything crazy. Yeah. Like I think the biggest change you can see is just maybe playing for a different person. Like you know, Buki tweeted, you know. It makes all the difference when you love the coach you're playing for now right. or something. And, like, I think that that could be the biggest change you would see. Like, maybe, yeah. you know, the guys are just – I don't – they just – I don't know. Maybe they – some of them might feel bad about Mike Stoops doing his job, so they want to play hard for him. Right. Some of them might have hated his guts, and so now they'll play hard for Ruffin McNeil. Like, I think that that is the biggest change you will see. With that said – the fact that our previous defense had very little identity and the base defense was that we were multiple. (laughs) I think there is the potential for us to, you know, we have like a wide range of things we could do within that. You know what I mean? Like, I think we'll probably see less like mixing and matching of like the three, four and the four, three. And like, maybe we just commit more to one of those. Mm -hmm. Like I would guess, Maybe we might commit more to the four-man front. I don't know for sure. Like, I'm just guessing here. But um, maybe, you know, we commit more to the four-man front, get Ronnie Perkins and Kenneth Mann on the ends or something. You know, I think that that's something you could do different from a personnel standpoint that wouldn't Mm -hmm. be, like, crazy out of what we've done this year. Because we played plenty of four-man front stuff this year. It would literally just be putting Ronnie Perkins on the field. You know what I mean? So, like, I think that might be – one of the bigger changes um and i don't even know if that would work like i mean that might not be able to rush the passer at all so uh-huh. um, yeah like like you said uh, you try not to get too carried away with the intangible stuff of oh they're gonna play harder for this guy so the defense will be better but i mean if it's so significant where mike stoops was allegedly fighting players in the locker room one player wanted to leave the stadium you got a guy okay. like buki that would tweet we'll something like we'll that's Real quick, uh, cleared uh, up. Yeah, the fighting stuff totally not real. Not real. Not credible at all. Not credible at all. Um, I don't know who. I mean, obviously, I don't know who reported it um, or where that came from. I know who reported it. I don't know where it came from. But I very heard, possible it was Jim Traber that reported that. It's entirely possible Jim Traber <laughs> did it. You know, um, and he just wanted to to make something up. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I I feel confident. Like, I mean. I don't. I think Mike Stoops is a really honest person. Like, I mean, I don't think he's a great defensive coordinator by any means. Right. But I think he will tell you how things, how he sees things. And mm-hmm. I don't think that would. If he fought Curtis Bolton, I think he would have used that as like, yeah, these guys hated me, and that's why I couldn't get through to them or something. You know yeah. what I mean? And then Curtis Bolton yesterday went on for like four and a half minutes or something about. Um, about how he could not believe that that was reported because it just, right. he's apparently him and Mike Snoops didn't even like talk to each other during halftime. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, from from an outside viewer's perspective, you would assume that Curtis Bolton really likes Mike. I mean, he gave him the chance to start this year whenever everybody and their dog thought that Caleb Kelly was going to obviously be the starter. And Mike believed in Curtis after putting in the work, and he it definitely paid off. So, right. I mean, you wouldn't think that Curtis would have too much of a beef with Mike as opposed to some other players would. Yeah, and if you want to go further on that, like, if there's one guy on this defense that is Mike Stoops' guy, it's Caleb Kelly. Right. And Caleb Kelly went to Oklahoma because of Mike Stoops. Mike Stoops right. was his primary recruiter. Caleb Kelly loved Mike, loves Mike Stoops. And for Mike Stoops to be willing to go with Curtis Bolton over Caleb Kelly would, to me, if I were Curtis Bolton, I would think, man, that's he's just a really fair guy. You know what right. I mean? In that sense. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think that that was anything that happened. I do think that there were players on the team that I don't necessarily know if they hated him or just disliked him, but I, I think there was certainly um, a certain amount of disbelief in what he had them doing. Like, because it, honestly, it had never been successful. Right. Like, no one on this defense has ever played, been on a good defense at Oklahoma. So, like, mm-hmm. at this point, they're probably like, what we're doing isn't going to work, you know, so mm-hmm. why why are we doing this? So, you know, maybe that was the main issue, um, and just having a different voice can change things. Like, we've seen, we've seen this go both ways. We've seen things get worse or stay the same, and we've seen things improve, like, dramatically, um, having an interim defensive coordinator take over in the middle of the season, so... Um, that's, that's never to me been why I was, I'm not going to say I was excited whenever they did it, but why I thought it was the right decision. Like, it's just, we needed to move forward and stop doing the same thing. So even if we're not better, it's not going to be something that I think is terrible. You know what I mean? Right. It's not the end end of the world if things don't get better this year. Right. I think another thing to touch on that, like on the intangible side of the change is that, you know, for a while, you know, we get lit up for 48 points by a mediocre offense, then everyone gets on Twitter and they're like, "Fire Mike Stoops." This is what this is what this is what the players are hearing. But now, like Mike is no longer the scapegoat. I think the players know that, like, they got to get it done, or else it's you know, bench Parnell Motley. Yeah. So I yeah, think no, I, I think, think they'll all probably have that mentality going into it now. Yeah, that's true. There's no, there's no more. They are the scapegoat. Like it's, it's yeah. going to be on the players from here on out. To and like, Ruffin McNeil kind of said this. Like he talked about how he's like the scheme isn't really what's going to matter. He's like the scheme mm-hmm. is the players. You know what I mean? He's like we have to get the players to do what we need them to do, and that's that's our scheme change. You know, he's like mm-hmm. we can't change everything in the middle of the season, so we have to just change how the players are playing. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully that, that that's something that can kind of carry them through for the rest of the season. Um, all right, so let's talk about the unit they're going to be matched up against. Um, TCU's offense, uh, by no means are they a juggernaut. <laughs> no. They, uh, they're having some issues scoring points. Yeah, they, I mean, games. yeah. When you get shut down by Texas Tech, and going into the season – a lot of people did think like Texas Tech had some, they had some guys coming back. They thought they would have some experience. They thought they'd be 
an improved unit this year. I mean, only scoring 14 on Texas Tech. That has, I mean, they gave up 49 to Houston. They held Oklahoma State 17 on the road. So, I mean, they've looked they've looked solid at times, but only scoring 14 on Texas Tech, regardless of what Tech's numbers bear out. Like after recent history, that's just not a good look. Right. Well, yeah, and like Tech. You know they're they're a much improved unit, and they they do this the little things better than OU does. Like in all honesty, they tackle better, they put more pressure on the quarterback. But the numbers don't really bear out that they're a good defensive team. You know what I mean? Like the numbers don't like them at all. The S and P plus numbers. Let me try to find them real quick because it's they're not they're not nice to Tech at all. I'll see what I can pull up on Tech. I mean, yeah, defensive S and P they rank ninety fifth. Yeah. Yeah, ninety fifth. Yeah. So that is that is not good. I can. Yeah. So it's it's not like you know, well, Tech's just got a good defense this year. Like Tech, their defense is better, but and they're capable of you know you know sacking you know getting after the quarterback, forcing some turnovers, but they're still not a good defensive team. You know. Yeah. So TCU's offense is having some major major problems. Um, probably. One of the bigger issues they're having is that they like to turn the ball over a whole lot. Um, I can't remember exactly what the the total number of, of turnovers is, but they they've been turnover happy. And if you think about their biggest game of the year against Ohio State, things were going really well for them, and then they just decided to turn the ball over a couple times, and Ohio State scored like twenty points in like two minutes. So. Mm-hmm. You know, they they have been really bad. And I think part of our Monday uh, podcast that was lost, um, they've been really bad at turning the ball over, and they also should have turned it over more than they have. Yeah. Like, they've been lucky um, relative to how many times they've actually turned it over in terms of how, you know, how many times they should have. So um, I – I don't know how that's going to match up with our defense because our defense just doesn't force turnovers. Um, but if there's a team that we can turn over, you would think it's this one, right? I mean, you would you would hope so. I mean, Sean Robinson, as we've seen, not a good quarterback. And you thought, you know, maybe they would – I mean, Kenny Hill was very much turnover prone. Um but he had some talent, and he could make some plays, and you just really don't see that out of Sean Robinson. No, you don't. You really don't. Um, as far as things I'm concerned about with this TCU offense, like, I mean, we can't just say, oh, they're bad, they won't do much against us because we've seen this defense give up a lot to bad offenses this year. Um, they still have a lot of speed. They're still a really fast offensive team. Um, Jalen Rager still exists. I mean, he – should have come to Oklahoma, but he's still really good for them. See, I don't, uh, I don't recognize the name. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see if he has any catches come Saturday. <laughs> Kevontae Turpin is still somehow at TCU. I don't, I don't know how that works, but he's still there. Um, Darius Anderson got a lot of speed from the running back position. Um, Hasn't been particularly explosive this year. He had the big run against Ohio State, but otherwise, you know, hasn't been amazing so far this year. Um, so, like, they have guys that are theoretically big-time playmakers. They just haven't made many big plays this year. So, um, 
which that in itself kind of makes me nervous because our 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 defense has had a tendency of of making players look good before and do stuff that they didn't do prior to playing us, you know. Mhm. Yeah, I think one thing that is comforting in regards to our defense is and obviously this is weighted pretty significantly I would assume by the 3 4 5 yard carries from the army game, but in terms of explosiveness, we're 6th in ISO PPP and 18th mm-hmm. in marginal explosiveness and yeah. their offense is but very below average. They're 99th in ISO PPP and 87th right. in explosiveness on offense. And that also comes with them playing against Texas Tech, who was 114th and 102, respectively, in those defensive categories. So a much worse defense at, at defending explosiveness than ours, and TCU just could not do anything against them. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, if they make a lot of big plays against us on Saturday, like, good Lord. Like, that's just that's yeah. what a hopeless situation we're in right now. But um, I think another thing, like, Jalen Rager and Kevontae Turpin, both really explosive athletes, and Jalen Rager is averaging 11.7 yards a catch. Like, that's, you know, probably eight yards less than I would – think a guy like him would average like he's yeah obviously just catching a lot of short passes Kevontae Turpin averaging 14 and a half like with his explosiveness like again you would think he's probably averaging like 20 yards a catch or something so yeah that, is, that's, just, that's, that speaks the ball downfield. yeah that speaks even more to Sean Robinson that he has those two incredible players and they rank so lowly in explosiveness yeah, let's talk about Sean Robinson lastly. Um, nine touchdowns, eight interceptions, completing 61% of his passes. In all reality, he's probably only completing that much because they throw a lot of short passes to help him out, um, if we're being honest. Um, he is a decent athlete. Like, in the kind of way he runs is not dissimilar to a guy like Sam Ellinger. Um, and... Like, I could definitely see TCU running that, like, sweep play that Ellinger killed us for three touchdowns with, um, and Sean Robinson having some success with that. But he's not a guy that's, like, he's not Johnny Manziel out there going to be making plays and throwing on the run and stuff. Like, that's not him at all. But he's a bigger guy, so, I mean, I could see him breaking a Caleb Kelly tackle and, you know, extending the play a little bit, you know. But, um We'll, we'll just have to wait. Like, I mean, that's really all he can do, though. You know, he's a big athletic guy, but not particularly good at throwing the ball down the field at all. Doesn't make good decisions. Um, he's, he's below average, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and our our defense, our stuff rate is definitely not very good. We're 105th in stuff rate. Um, and so that's obviously, like, Ellinger, we – never stuffed him army we never stuffed them and so like you said if they run that similar power run with sean robinson that could be a problem for us but they they are not um they get stuffed at about an average amount they're 75th in offensive stuff rate right so i mean all of these things their their offense is below average in almost everything yep Yep. Um, 
it's God, it's going to be so bad if we give up like 30 to them. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Oh, man. Okay, let's move over. Let's move over to our offense. Real quick, um, one one piece of defensive news. Do you, we we got the news about Jalen Redmond this week? Um, do you expect anything out of him? Most likely not this game at all, but out of him this season. Yeah, I think he'll play in the four games. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the most likely scenario is that he plays in the four games, preserves the red shirt. Um, you know, maybe like that would put him at, you know, maybe Bedlam or Kansas before he plays. Like the dude just got cleared like mm-hmm. a week and a half ago. You know, right. like that guy, he's not, I don't think he's going to play this week. If he does play, then like he must be like a freaking superhero right. because like I, I just can't see it. Um, so I, I think the smartest thing to do is, you know, sit him out probably and, and still, uh, preserve the, the red shirt with him for this mm-hmm. year, maybe bring him back. I think Kansas would be a really good opportunity to get him in. Right. Um, that's the second to the last game of the regular season. So that could, you know, leave a couple post, uh, postseason games in there if, if we, if we want to go that route with him. And, you know, if he's, if he's good, he could play in those games too. So, um, I don't know. I think, I don't think we'll see him this weekend. Yeah. Um, I, I would imagine not as well. If, if we're moving to that four-man front, like, you know, I talked about we might just put more emphasis on that. Mm-hmm. Like, Jalen Redmond is the single most tailor-made player on this football team to play in that front at, from mm-hmm. a defensive end standpoint. Um, like, he's – that's what he is pretty much a four – he's athletic enough to probably play outside linebacker in a 3-4, mm-hmm. but I think ideally he's probably a 4-3 a defensive end and could be a really good one, so – you know, if he does play like super quick, I think that would kind of tell you what they think of the rest of the players that they have mm-hmm. and how just not equipped they are to play that kind of defense. So, um, I don't think it would necessarily even be that good of a thing if he were to play this weekend. Yeah. So, so maybe what you're saying is maybe we're looking at a Jalen Redman secret weapon in a playoff run scenario. That's what I'm go. hearing. Jalen Redman in the playoff. He's going to sack Tua Tagovailoa six times. Oh, yeah. He's going to have oh, an air strike yeah. game against Tua. Uh, all right. Let's move to the offense. Yeah, because, like, I mean, all the doubts and all the not fun things about what we just talked about, it's just pretty much the opposite is true for our offense because we're just incredible. Like, we're really good. Um, we're – Back, we're number one in S&P Plus by a fairly significant margin. Again, just like last year. If I remember correctly, aren't we in S&P Plus? We are better than last year, right? Let me check. Um, I'm fairly confident we are. And that was a record-setting offense with a Heisman quarterback. Yeah, that offense was like... Yeah the best offense of like the 2000s like it yeah was, they were they were at a 47.2 oh in gosh. offensive S&P plus which is still better than Bama this year who's at number two but this year we're at we have jumped that up to 50 yeah my goodness and that's like yeah. it's crazy because it's not 
like we've probably played – I mean, after we get by TCU this weekend, we'll have played the best defenses on our schedule. Yeah. You know, we already played Texas. We already played Iowa State. Like, that's that's insane. We still have games against Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, Kansas, Kansas State. Like, it's not like that number is going to go down a bunch if we keep playing like we are. You know what I mean? Right. Um, it would have to be like we would just have to take a downturn for, for no real reason. Like, because it's not going to be the defense is forcing us to – to play worse it would just have to be like stupid mistakes right and even even with against texas two uncharacteristic turnovers from kyler murray we still hang 45 on him and like still continue just incredible efficiency on the offensive end yeah um so i have a take about kyler murray let's hear it and i don't i don't even like given what we just talked about I don't even know how, like, hot it is. But I think that at the end of this season, we will look at this season as the best season a quarterback has ever had at OU. I love it. I would I would be fine with that. I think – I certainly think we could look at it that way. If that happens, I think – the public opinion will be we just watched the best offensively coached team and then everyone will start invalidating Baker and Kyler as system QBs. Yeah, and that's fine. They can do that. I mean, watch well, Baker maybe. Yeah, watch Baker in the uh, the NFL. He's doing just fine for himself. Um and what what I love about Kyler is that we don't even have to have that conversation. Like, because right. he's not, he's just not going to play in the NFL. I love right. that. Like the fact that he gets to play this one season of college football and light the world on fire, um, and then go play baseball and make more money than he would playing football. Like that's just really cool to me. Yeah. Um, but my, the re- like just numbers wise. He's already up to over 1,700 yards passing, completing over 70% of his passes, um, and he's already got 21 touchdowns. That's ridiculous. Only three interceptions, and that's not even including the fact that, like, he's electric on the ground as well. Like, he runs the ball extremely well. Like, uh, what's he have on the ground so far this year? Um... Dang it, ESPN. How do they not have that on his player profile? Uh, Kyler Murray has 434 yards on the ground this year. 8.7 yards per carry, 5 TDs. Yeah, that's real good. That's really good. Um, yeah. I want to find here's, – yeah, here's that tweet I had from Nate Fekin, Fekin. I did the same thing. Yesterday when, or Monday, whenever I tried to pronounce his name, but he tweeted the run, that touchdown run from Kyler uh, against Texas, and I guess in the final 65 yards he ran it in 7.02 seconds, which ratioing that out is a 4.32 40-yard dash, which obviously isn't perfectly representative of what his 40 time would be because he spends less of the time accelerating in this, and he has more time where he's at top speed. But still, that's just unreal. Like, from a quarterback. That's unreal for a running back. 
And yeah. this is the this is the guy that's completing seventy one percent of his passes. It's a twenty one to three T D to interception ratio. Yep. Um which okay, I'm gonna just go into my second take. I did this on, on Monday as well. Um Tua Tagovailoa is having an unbelievable season in Alabama. Um, and he's the leader in the Heisman race right now. But my – I think it will be – if things keep going, like if he stays on this pace and Kyler stays on this pace, if things keep going like this, it will be utterly ridiculous if Kyler Murray does not win the Heisman Trophy. Yep, that's fair. Because – I think I mean two is awesome. Like he's great. Like cool. Um, he's very efficient. Like he's he's kind of killing it in like the Baker Mayfield way. So good for him. But he is not nearly as important to his team as Kyler Murray is to his team. Like Kyler mm-hmm. Murray is the key to this offense. Like if Kyler Murray's not out there, if Austin Kendall's playing instead of Kyler Murray, we're probably we have probably have two or three losses right now. You know and I mean, he's our leading, he's our leading rusher and like his passing numbers are ridiculous right now. And just additionally, just like every game, Kyler Murray does something that you're just like, oh my God. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen a quarterback do that before. You know, mm-hmm. like I just thinking about a couple of the like third downs he's converted with his feet, like just no quarterback could do that. And then he's able, he's just able to like, shake dudes and get the first down somehow like i just that to me is the heisman trophy winner right there like yeah the guy that like not only he puts up amazing stats but he's also he just has like the wow factor where you're just like holy crap how do you do that you know Mm -hmm. so did you see i'm glad that we're uh we got to re-record this because I think they released it after we recorded Monday. Did you see Sports Illustrated's like mid-season All-American thing? I didn't. So at quarterback, obviously they had Tua. Um, I think we had we had Marquise Brown on the their first team mid-season All-Americans. I can't remember. I saw Ben Powers on some list that was like it was, it was like a yeah that was like. In ESPN, but I think it was like a parody account of the the thing I saw at least. So I'm not sure if that's oh, okay. credible or if that was actual ESPN and they just stole that. Whatever. Um, but the second team QB for uh, the Sports Illustrated midseason All American team was Dwayne Haskins and oh, not God. Kyler Murray. Like that is so stupid. <laughs> like that. Like, I can understand why Tua can be your Heisman winner. Like, yeah. he's putting up amazing stats, and he plays for Alabama. And, like, he's he's the best quarterback Alabama's probably ever have, ever had, I mean. Like, mm-hmm. I can see it. Like, I don't agree with it, and I, it's just I don't think he's that important to that team. I think they would be winning these games by roughly the same margin no matter who was playing quarterback. So, right. I just – but, and, like, Dwayne Haskins – Good stats, sure, but man, like, like he he still has both of his stud running backs. Yeah, that takes yeah. a lot of pressure off of him. Crazy talent surrounding him, and like that dude was garbage against Penn State. Yeah, like, that dude sucked against Penn State. Like, give me a break with. He that. also gets the the Rutgers bump, the Oregon yeah. State bump. Like, arguably, 
two of the the two worst power five teams. Yeah, I was about to say two of the worst, but they are arguably the two worst. Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. With that that take, I'm I'm excited to hang more than forty on TCU this weekend and get Kyler better stats. Get a direct comparison: Kyler Murray versus TCU, and. Dwayne Haskins versus TCU at a neutral site. Yeah. Like, Dwayne Haskins didn't really light them up either. He struggled yeah. against TCU. I mean, his numbers wound up looking okay, but there were large portions of that game where they could not move the football. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no. Miss me with that. Um, anything else? Off, I mean, we've kind of turned the offense into, like, a Kyler Murray quarterback <laughs> ever segment i um, think that's perfectly I, reasonable to do though <laughs> yeah i agree um i kennedy brooks is yeah really the only other guy that that's the only other thing that i really have offensively it's like i mean we've seen we've seen it enough and like against texas he was by far the most effective running back he didn't get the opportunities he needed um like start the guy Mm-hmm. I'm like just just start him. It'll make Trey Sermon so much more effective. Um, like because I mean, Trey Sermon's not a bad starting running back, but he I don't I wouldn't consider him a good starting running back either. Like he's just like about as average as it gets as a starter. But if you mm-hmm. can bring him in as like a change of pace guy, he becomes a legitimate like all conference type running back. You know, and like I don't know why you wouldn't want to maximize that from him you know like it it would help Trey Sermon I know it seems like counterintuitive that you're taking plays away from him early but Mm -hmm. it would help him so much late in the game we saw it so many times last year uh, where he just closed the game out for us you know he did it against TCU he did it against Oklahoma State he did it against uh, Taylor for sure last year that's just off the top of my head like that guy Mm -hmm. is and even against Ohio State he he was pretty effective he converted a late third down and three or something you know so right and we and we've talked about this before where trey is just like the perfect super sub type of guy to come in at the fourth quarter when everyone's legs are gassed and you're not expecting a guy to hit you that hard when you get in the open field yeah no absolutely um and like I don't even – and, like, sure, Trey Sermon can probably do that for all four quarters if he's the guy, um, but he's just not going to look near as good. Like, I'm thinking against Texas, he got more effective as the game went, um, even though he played the entire time. Um, but I just I, – I want to see him at his best only. You know, right. I don't want to have to go through the first two or three quarters of him just looking okay before we can get to where he's actually looking great because – I think, you know, Bill Biedenboe said that last week was the best that his offensive line has blocked all season. Um, and I don't think we were able to fully see that because we didn't have the right running back playing for the majority of the game. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think this this makes perfect sense this, for this to be Kennedy Brooks' first start. OU has kind of a history of doing the thing where they'll – wait until they lose a game to do something obvious that they should have done a couple of weeks prior. And I think this is another one of those things. I mm-hmm. think getting Kennedy Brooks earlier touches 
is is really important. Like Trey Sermon, like I'm just looking at his stats this year. His longest run is 22 yards. Yeah, that's not that's not the guy you need out there. That's really not. It's the guy like if you block really well for a play, you need a guy that's going to take it 60 for a touchdown. And that's right. Kennedy Brooks has done that so far this year. And and that's just not Trey Sermon's game. I still like right. Trey Sermon, but that's that's just not him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there's but, there's probably not much to this narrative, but it is like Kennedy Brooks's hometown team that we're going up against. Like yeah. he's obviously a lot of our guys are from Texas, but he is like from just down the road of TCU. So I think that, yeah. that if he does end up getting the start or getting an extended run, like that could significantly factor into it. Yeah. I also think it would just, it would lift some of the, it would lift a significant portion of the burden off of Kyler because right now he's been, he's been the explosive part of the running game like himself. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're just not getting it um, unless Kyler's running. So, and like, I would like, I mean, I think Kyler can handle it. He's good enough, but I would like to not have to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think we have a guy that can. Like, I think Kennedy Brooks is, is really pretty good. Like, he's, you know, he's averaging 12.8 yards to carry this year, and a lot of it's been garbage time. But, like, just the things that he can do in the open field, I'm not sure we have another guy since Rodney Anderson is hurt that can do that. Right. You know, so. Yeah, I hope we uh, see some more of him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Is there uh, anything to say about our receivers? I mean, Hollywood and CD, they're incredible. Lee Morris is going to catch three touchdowns this week. Yeah. Do we need to just start discussing that position, the inside spot, as as if Lee Morris is just better than Grant Calcaterra? I guess for now we probably should, huh? Grant, I mean, he had that incredible catch, that one incredible catch, and that's really it. Um, yeah, and, and Lee Morris, just the dude makes plays, man. Yeah. Like, he's averaging 25.6 yards a catch. You know, that's, like, yeah. And he's got eight catches and four touchdowns. Like, and it's, and like, usually you see that for like a red zone guy, but he, no, these are big right. plays. These like, he just breaks them. Catches. Yeah. yeah. So, and I'm sure it's something. It's probably mostly the fact that we have Marquise Brown and C.D. Lamb that attract all the attention. It's like, who is this Lee Morris guy on the roster that's probably super white? Yeah. But, like, I think he's just a sneaky guy. Ends up breaking loose a lot. And yeah. until until Grant Calcaterra can stop being freshman year Mark Andrews and catch the ball in traffic or just be wide open like Mark Andrews started doing, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think Lee Lee is the guy to roll with. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, we've been – I've heard some, some criticism of, of Grant Calcaterra. I think people forget how long it took Mark Andrews to really establish himself as, like, a consistent guy. They I really do. Really... I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't until his senior year when I was – or I guess his last year at OU until I was like, yeah, this guy's going to – he's going to catch this one over the middle. Right. Yeah, and he was like he was a touchdown machine, like he was a red zone threat in 2015, mm-hmm. um, and he was good in 2016. Like, yeah, I, you know, I'm not gonna rag on what he did in 2016, but I didn't ever think of him as like this consistent playmaker that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. It wasn't until like he just completely changed his body 
and went in, you know, to his last year at Oklahoma that I thought, yeah, this dude's like a, a big time player, you know? So mm-hmm. Greg Calcaterra has time. He's this, he's only a sophomore. He's got two more years after this to, yeah. to kind of make his mark on this offense. But I mean, he's sitting behind guys, like in terms of just targets, he's not going to get as many targets as CD or Marquise Brown. Right. Um, it's going to be tough in that way. And then Lee Morris is just playing really, really well this year. So, yeah, um, it's it's really kind of like it's kind of like when you're playing Madden, and so you only play six minute quarters, and like on a good day, like your offense, you know, you might throw in a game, throw twenty passes, and that's essentially how this offense is. Like they do not get to run a lot of plays because they're that efficient, and the defense is on the field all damn game. And it's like there is simply not enough passes to go around for Grant Calcaterra to really like make something of himself this year. Right. Well, and, like, we're talking about how great Lee Morris has been, but, I mean, the guy has eight catches. Right. Know? Like, he's he's had a game this year where he didn't catch anything. So um, it's not like he's getting a ton of targets. He's just making a lot more out of his few targets than Grant Calcaterra is. Right. So, like, yeah, it's there is a lack of opportunity happening right now for Grant Calcaterra. And I think as, you know, he moves forward – He'll he'll get more consistent and he'll be fine. I still really like him. He was still great at the opening. We can never forget this. We will never forget the opening. Just to just to put into perspective our offense a little bit, I was just thinking of a, a good offense with a bad defense that might run a lot of plays. So Marquise Brown, who is I mean, in my opinion, the Blitnikoff right now. Definitely a Blitnikoff finalist. But he has 44 targets on the year just because our offense doesn't run that many plays. Going over to Ole Miss, their DK Metcalf is third on their team with 41 targets. So, I mean, he's right behind their third receiver just in number of targets, or right just ahead of their third receiver. Like, A.J., their leading receiver who's going to be potentially a first-round draft pick, like, A.J. Brown has 63 targets. If you give... Marquise Brown, 63 targets. His numbers are unreal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, I mean, yeah, he's having an unbelievable season. Like, he's, he's incredible. Averaging 20 yards a catch, seven touchdowns already. Like, no, he's, he's awesome. Yeah. I mean, a catch, a catch rate of 75% for a guy his size. And it's not like we're dinking and dunking to him. I mean, he is, he is absolutely mossing people. Like, he's five foot 10 going over the top of people. Yeah. Yeah, no, he is. And, like, we have another guy that, in his own way, is just as good. Like, that's what's hilarious about this. Right. Marquise Brown's amazing, and he puts – he stresses a defense in ways that just really nobody else does. But Mm. in his own way, C.D. Lamb is just as good. Yeah. Um, I'm so happy that that the style of the NFL is changing, that a guy like Marquise Brown is – a potential first round pick this year because I mean four years ago he's what third he's round like tops? he's a mid round guy yeah yeah, yeah I, I do think Marquise he's gonna need to come back for one more year and really prove himself <laughs> hey you that's know, fine with me if he's trying to be just tell him hey Marquise you're trying to be a top ten pick come yeah. back one more year show him you can do it with three different quarterbacks yeah he needs to bulk up a little bit more. Um, you know, he's only at 168 now. Get up to okay. about one, 180, you know, get up there. 
Then we can talk about the NFL. But I, one I more season one of more training, year. get down to four two eight speed. Yep, yep, yeah. Break, you know, break the combine record. Aim for that. Yeah. Don't. That's my official advice to, uh, to Marquise <laughs> Brown: is don't go to the draft unless you can break John Ross's combine. Yep, record. you got to get that private island. Yeah. Where the Where the Adidas, my man. Just do yeah. it. Yeah. Don't go and don't just do it. That record. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. We'll yeah. do whatever Adidas' slogan is. <laughs> yeah. Do Adidas' slogan. Get your private island. Um, but if if you're not super confident in breaking that, come back, race another student at the spring game next year, um, and you know really work on that speed because I think that's 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 where he's really lacking right now. He just doesn't have the the John Ross speed yet. Um. Okay, so that that's really all we have on the offense. Like, oh, sorry, I was thinking earlier today. Last thing, we didn't talk about this on Monday. Um, Cody Ford has been really good this year in the way that I thought he would struggle. Um, he's been a great pass blocker so far this year, um, and he's about to get tested like he hasn't been tested so far. Uh, he's gonna have to go up against Ben Banigou for the entire season. Are you there? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That should be a fun matchup. Yeah, I agree. Um, And that this is the one. Whenever I found out that Cody Ford was even switching to tackle, that this was the game that I was like worried about. You Mm -hmm. know, like I was like, "Oh crap, he's gonna have to block Ben Banigou for an entire game." You know, so it'll be really interesting to see how he does. Like, honestly, this is the kind of game that if he plays really well. I mean, he's the kind of guy that could start getting NFL attention, like, for this year. You know, yeah. again, I think Cody Ford, he needs to come back and prove himself a little bit more. Um, but only, like, I really mean this one. Yeah. Like, I, would, I think he could potentially, like, if we are able to slide him back in at guard next year, like, I think he could really light it up next year as a guard. Um, but if he can, like, really establish himself as a pass blocker against an elite guy like Banigou, He's going to start getting some attention. For sure. Um, okay, so let's go Let's go to score predictions for this game. Um, I think we've covered this from pretty much every, every angle that we need to. Um, what's, what's your score prediction for this one? I, I think I'm going to stick with what I said on Monday. I'm going to go with 44 to 24 OU. Okay. I'm going to go 38 to 27. All right. A little close. A little closer. It is still covering the spread, I guess. Still covering the spread. And I think on Monday I said 31 to 27. Yeah, you said a lot closer Monday. We've we've talked you into giving us an extra touchdown. Talking about the offense tonight kind of got me a little more optimistic, more excited. So um, I'm going to go with 38-27. so both, we're both both thinking of slight improvements for the defense, but not a 14-point performance like Texas Tech. Right. I think I think we'll see improvements in some of the small, the fundamental thing. Like I think we might tackle a little bit better. Um, we might stuff a run or two. I don't know. That'd be kind of crazy. <laughs> um, but I think we'll we'll give up a big play. I think we give up at least one big play. And I know TCU is not explosive. But just, I don't know, just the switching coordinators, it makes me just feel like, I don't know, there might just be a bust somewhere that 
you know, we haven't had so far this year. Um, so that, that's my prediction in TCU, like Kevontae Turpin or Jalen Rager, something happens like that. So, um, we feel okay about the defense coming out of this one. All right. Uh, I like that. Me personally, I think we give Jalen Rager the clamps. Kevontae Turpin, he might break loose, but Jalen Rager's getting the clamps on this one, boy. Who on earth is going to clamp Jalen Rager in the <laughs> secondary? Trey Brown. Trey Brown? Okay. Trey Brown. All right. I mean, he's probably the only one capable of it, in, like <laughs> even remotely. So we'll see on that one. I if I I have my doubts. Um. Okay. Got to so, speak it into existence. Speak. Yeah. There we go. So, like as we talked about at the beginning, we're gonna go over a defensive coordinator. Um. I don't know if prospect is the right word. Just a guy that we have our eye on. You know, a potential defensive coordinator replacement. And we're actually going to change it up from what we did on Monday. On and we'll. Uh, I'm not even going to tell you who we talked about on Monday. Yeah, they'll have to uh, wait and return, see what happens yep. next time. Yeah, I'll be sure to to tell everybody that this was the guy that was on the initial pod. Um, but we're going to go with John Heacock. John Heacock. John Heacock, defensive coordinator for the Iowa State Cyclones. Um, and I think what's really made me kind of, I mean, I've kind of shifted, you know, as the week has progressed, just thinking about how amazing his defense looked against West Virginia. And just the fact that, like, West Virginia is as Big 12 as a Big 12 offense gets, kind of just completely, it, I'm kind of in on John Heacock. I'm not saying I'm not saying he's like by far my number one choice, but I think he might be the safest choice out of anybody that we could make. Um, just because he is literally doing what we need our defense to do in the conference that we need our defense to do it in. So, I mean that that's really what does it for me there. Mm-hmm. What what does it for me is the Youngstown Ohio ties because you know it's all it's all about. You know, the connections you have with people. All the other, a lot of the other guys that I had looked at for potential defensive coordinator replacements, they're all, you know, currently have ties to the state they're coaching in or to the head coach they're coaching under or sometimes both. But, you know, getting those, those Youngstown, Ohio ties from John Heacock. He was the head coach there from 2001 to 2009. So. Yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, I another with him is I kind of think back. I remember this is this is a and like I wasn't like following football when this happened, but I always remember hearing that when when Bob Stoops came to Oklahoma, he hired Mike Leach because that was the offense that he had had the most trouble with when he was mm-hmm. at Florida playing defense. Hmm. And if you're Lincoln Riley, you got to <laughs> think about. Who has given us the most trouble over the last two years um, in terms of executing on our offensively? And, like, Todd Orlando is obviously probably number one on that list. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I know we lit him up or whatever. Actually, Todd Orlando is not number one on the list. But, he, you know, before this year, he had a lot of success. Um, so Todd Orlando's on the list. He's not a realistic get. Like, he's not leaving Texas for Oklahoma. It's just not going to happen. Um, but then John Heacock's defense at Iowa State, like that's by far 
the other defense that's given us the most trouble. Like, they beat us last year. They held us to seven points in the second half of last year's game. Um, they Even held us- in 2016, they were, I just looked up, OU, Iowa State 2016, they held us to 34 when they were a 1-8 team at the time. Right, yeah, like, in that offense, that was a great offense, another best offense in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, his defense has given us some issues, and if I'm Lincoln Riley, that's probably what I'm looking for, because if he can defend my offense, he can defend anything. <laughs> yeah. Our offense is so much better than anyone else's. Like, yeah. why – you know, why wouldn't you look for the guy that's giving you the most trouble, you know? And, like, that's one thing I haven't even really thought about that much in this search is that, like, I kind of really like the idea of Lincoln Riley making this hire because, like, he's a freaking offensive savant. So he's going to know, like, when he evaluates another guy in the defense that he runs, mm-hmm. he's going to know, will that work? What would I – how would I attack that defense? And if it's a guy that's he would have a lot of trouble with, then – I think that's the kind of guy he's looking for. And um, I think John Heacock is, is really the, the best example of that that we know of so far. Yeah, and look, looking listening to you talk about John Heacock and reading a little bit about him, I think I might be more excited for him than who we originally talked about Monday. Like, this is one, I think it's a very realistic hire. Like, in the Big 12 already, um, could, like, we are a bigger school than he's at currently it would be a objectively better job for him to take to come here and also like a lot of people they want you know one of the young and up and coming defensive coordinators like maybe you know there's the guys out guy at Alabama um but you know the problem with a lot taking a lot of those young and up and coming guys is that they are not long for being a defensive coordinator they are a couple of years tops and then off to being a head coach somewhere. Like they are the link. If you hire a Lincoln Riley as a defensive coordinator, you have to hire him as a head coach. Yeah. You have to hire him as a head coach if you want to keep him. And so with hiring, you know, an older guy that he's already done the head coach thing at a couple places, um, or maybe no, it just looks like Youngstown state, but he's already done the head coach thing. He's been a coordinator at a lot of places for a long time. Like he he would be a good hire that you're not worried about him getting stolen away by you know Tennessee once they fire their head coach or Miami if they decide to fire Mark Richt or something like you're not worried about them stealing him away so you take this guy if he's good then that's awesome and you're probably not going to lose him and you know worst comes to worst you find a new guy in a couple of years yeah no I I, I agree. Um, like the, no, nobody's looking to hire a 57 year old coach. Like it's as their head coach, just, right. he's kind of beyond that point. Um, I kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm really in on this now. Like I've, he, he, it's yeah. kind of funny because I've been like thinking about that and I just could not get that West Virginia game out of my head. Mm-hmm. And then like, uh, our friend Nathan Hill like texted me today and he was like, the more I think about it, the more I like John Heacock, and I've I've been feeling the exact same way. So like, I don't know. I think I think I might have a new number one on my list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like listening to you talk about him, he is. I think he would be my number one as of right now. Yeah, my the concerns with John Heacock is he has never coached at a school as good as Oklahoma. 
Like he's just never been at this caliber of program. So he's never had to recruit at this level. Um, you know, like at OU, you had, we need to pull elite talent. Like we just mm-hmm. have to, like you're at Oklahoma. There's no excuse not to. Um, also like he's our primary, um, we recruit mostly in Texas. He has, I mean, I don't see any Texas ties on his resume, you know, like he's really more of a Midwestern guy. Mm-hmm. Um, which I mean, yeah, you can recruit that area, but like, I mean, you're going to have to beat like the big 10 teams for those guys, you know? So that's, that's really tough. Um, so that, is, that's really my only concern. Um, yeah. but I mean, get this guy, surround him with really young and energetic guys that can recruit their butts off. And I think you really have something you know? mm-hmm. like I mean, he's also a safeties coach. Iowa State's safeties are very, very good. Um, and our safeties have been very, very bad for uh, the last few years now. So that's exciting as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm in on John Heacock. I'm yeah. in on John Heacock. Well, one thing I wanted to say about John Heacock, with the older head coach we talked about, you know, not being worried about him getting stolen away from a bigger program. If you have an older guy, maybe you're worried about him getting stolen away by his alma maters. Your only, your only worry. Uh, but his alma mater was Muskingum University, which is a private liberal arts college in New Concord, Ohio. So I don't think we're worried about us losing him to Muskingum University. Yeah. No, I, uh, that doesn't scare me at all. It might be, it might be Muskingum. If you're from, the Ohio area, which we might actually have some followers or some listeners from there. I don't know how to pronounce it, so don't don't come at me. <laughs> yeah. Um, last thing on John Heacock is let's just talk about his the style of his defense. I, I know most people have seen it. Um, it's very unique. Um, it's 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 almost like it's been tailor made to stop Big Twelve offenses, and I say almost like it is literally. Taylor made to stop Big 12 offenses. Um, he drops eight a lot, and I know I've you know there's been a lot of complaints about Mike Stoops doing that over the years, um, dropping eight. But it's he does it in like this a very different way. Like he's he is like at both he is both like preventative and aggressive. Um, it's it's really interesting how he's been able to do that. Like I I don't even know like the real mechanics behind it, but it's just I see, like, he's still able to pressure the quarterback rushing three guys because they cover so well down the field, and they're also, like, extremely fundamentally sound. So, I mean, I don't know. It's it's not a, a conventional type of defense. Like, it's not the aggressive style of, like, he's just sending blitzes from everywhere. But, you know, he gets it done in this conference, and that's what we need. You're right. That's what um... – so for the first time, I usually don't, you know, watch a lot of film or anything. But during around, you know, week two, week three of the college football season, I had a lot of dead time at work. So I, like, uh, it was before we played Iowa State. And so I was just like, you know what? I'm going to, like, re-watch OU UCLA and try and go into detail looking at stuff, not just watching the ball. I'm going to watch Iowa State, Iowa, and do the same thing, which was – a little painful um but and obviously it's a big 10 defense but the thing about iowa state that one they absolutely shut down nathan stanley who's 
a pretty good quarterback. I mean, didn't he was barely over 50% passing, only threw for 166 yards, no TDs, no picks. But the thing that worried me about Ohio or Iowa State's defense going into our matchup with them is, like you said, they a lot of times only bring three guys, but they're still getting pressure on the quarterback, which my hope was that, well, our offensive line is going to be better than Iowa's offensive line. And, like, he still was able to give us problems. I've At that time, I was like, the way to beat our defense is not by bringing pressure, because if you bring five or six guys, Kyler Murray will pick you apart. If you don't bring enough and they don't get a good enough push, Kyler Murray will take off while all your guys are 15 yards down the field. But he runs the perfect defense to where, like you said, he's getting solid pressure with three guys, so they have eight guys in solid coverage. Kyler Murray couldn't do much on the ground. And so, yeah, he he definitely knows what he's doing and is clearly capable of defending Big 12 offenses. Yeah, and, like, I mean, Kyler Murray still had a really, really good game against them. Like, I thought mm-hmm. he played great for, you know, especially the first half of that game. But, like, there were just times where the offense was uncomfortable, and that in yeah. itself is just unique. Um, so, I, yeah, I really like it. I think, and I think Lincoln Riley will take a look at this guy. Like, I really do. Um, yeah, I don't. Leaving within conference seems unusual, like it doesn't happen all the time, so maybe he feels loyalty towards Matt Campbell. Um, and, like, maybe, I mean, Matt Campbell could get a big-time job this year. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Matt Campbell. So, like, there's that. But I There's also I that thought, Matt Campbell could get a big-time job, and he decides this is his chance to leave and go in conference if Matt Campbell's leaving the conference. He doesn't feel... So terrible about it. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, so, yeah, I, I think this is the – I don't know. It, it's really hard to – the recruiting does legitimately concern me a little bit. Like, I, I have concerns about that because I, I would like to just pull elite defensive talent and, you know, let it go from there. But I think if you can surround him with the right personnel on your defensive staff and get guys that know how to recruit players – I think he can install the system that um, makes it really kind of maybe even takes it to the next level because he's going to get better players at Oklahoma than he has at Iowa State. Yep. So, okay. I think that's where we need to leave it. I think my uh, my AirPods are about to die. <laughs> the casual drop of, I'm Alex <laughs> Purdy and I'm using AirPods. I am. I am. I've had to... Have you like AirPods? They charge crazy fast, man. Have you ever seen like yeah, like it's insane. But um, the battery life isn't incredible. Like it's good yeah. enough, but yeah. Um, okay, let's stop talking about AirPods. <laughs> um, okay, so I have never done the outro for this podcast, so let me see if I can get this right. Thank you for listening to the Oklahoma Drill podcast. Um, Please subscribe, subscribe. I can't do this. Please subscribe on iTunes or whatever else you use to listen to podcasts. Um, you can follow us at Twitter on Twitter. See, again, I'm terrible at this. <laughs> you, you know, you're in your own head. You're sucking yourself I out. Am. 
I am because I was thinking about at out. Yeah. You can follow us on Twitter at Alex P. Purdy at not that Sam Davis. Correct. And uh, we'll give Ryan a shout out at RW Maxi. Um, interact with us on there if you would like. I think I we had something about. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you have a defensive coordinator guy that you're interested in um, and you want us to talk about him. We we accept donations, and if you wanna if you want us to guarantee that we will uh, give your defensive coordinator a time a time slot on the podcast, just donate a hundred bucks and we'll do it. You might you might have to send multiple DMs to make sure we see it. Yeah. Don't want to get don't want to get buried in the bottom of the DMs. That's right. That's right. Yeah, might want to send multiple. Um, and yeah, and uh, I'll hit you up with my with my Venmo at that point. And then we can, uh, <laughs> We can go from there if you if you need a uh, little boost to the top. Coordinator. Yep, yep. Um, all right, so that'll do it. Um, uh, Ryan always says, "Tell your friends about this podcast so they can so please do fight. <laughs> yeah, they can listen to this thing that you like." I think is is what he says. So we'll we'll end with that.